0: Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thanks for joining us for our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. In it, Paul gets very personal about his own shortcomings, and he comforts the believers in Corinth. But he also teaches us that by embracing our own weakness, we are able to experience God's strength. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. Anyways, if you have your Bibles, would you open them with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 as we continue our study this morning through the book of 2 Corinthians. When you make your way there, I know I just had you sit down, but would you stand back up? I'm giving you some exercise so we kind of eat that hamburger at like 10, 15 a.m. And like, <laughs> we got to work up an appetite. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 3, Paul continues, saying, "...giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love." in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown, yet well known, as dying, yet behold, we live, as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children. Open wide to us also. You may be seated. You know, the goal of the Christian life, the life of the believer, the life for you and I as followers of Jesus is to bring honor and glory to the Lord. That's our goal. That is our highest like desire or should be to be able to stand one day before the Lord in his presence and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, I think of Paul's words when he wrote the, to the Philippians when he said, you know, one thing I do, right? Forgetting those, what, those things that lie behind and, and I reach forward to those things that lie ahead, right? I press on towards the, the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's our goal. Paul would say, as we looked at last week in chapter 5, verse 20, he says, therefore, we are also we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. He says, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So what he was saying is that we've been given this mission from the Lord. Like we have this ministry to be ambassadors for Christ. We're called to a ministry of reconciliation. And at the same time, though, we understand that life isn't always easy, is it? Ministry is not always easy. Ministry can be super, super hard at times. I grew up, my dad was a pastor for most of my life. My wife grew up, her dad was a pastor for all of her life. And so we got to see, you know, you know, front lines ministry on a on a close kind of you know. V- front lines view if you you know for lack of a better term and 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 we saw man ministry can be hard (laughs) like it's kind of like that double-edged sword like some days it's like amazing and other days it's like whoa like this is this is too difficult but if we're honest we all go through difficult seasons in our lives as followers of, of Christ you know we want to be used by the Lord right oh yeah we want to be used and then opposition comes we want to live lives, you know, righteous lives for the Lord, holy lives for the Lord, and then persecution comes, right from from maybe our coworkers. We're like, no, remember the old man who was past. I'm not that way anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ, and, and they just start mocking you. They start making fun of you, right? We want to grow in our faith. We're like, okay, God, we're gonna, I'm gonna take you serious. And I'm gonna dive more into your word, and then trials come, right? Oh, and that's just life. But the question this morning is, how can we endure? How can we endure to the end? You know, that word endure is defined this way. It's the fact or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. In other words, endurance is the ability to keep going or keep doing something difficult, unpleasant, or painful for a long time. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but I want to endure, church. I want to endure till the end. There's so many distractions In our lives. There's so many different things trying to steal our affection and our attention and to to divert us off of course. But the Bible calls us to endure. And and my prayer for us as a church that as we go through life, whether we, we, we come across opposition or persecution or trials, that we would endure till the end. That we would be able to stand before the Lord one day, just in purity of heart and mind, and and to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. And and what we're going to do this morning is walk through this passage verse by verse, like we normally do. But we're going to look at five ways from the life of the Apostle Paul of, of how to have spiritual endurance. Because as we've been seeing, Paul's been through a lot. Ministry has not been easy for him. Ministering to the church in Corinth, who he's writing to, Corinth has provided challenges to him beyond bare. And so let's look at verses 3 and 4 and get the context. He says, giving no cause for offense in anything. He says, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. And so we know that Paul's overall goal in his life is the ministry of the gospel, right? That is his goal. That is his perfect purpose. He is simply a servant who is pointing people to Jesus Christ, and he wants to remove any obstacles that would hinder people from knowing Jesus and hearing about Jesus. So if it's going to be an obstacle to them, like he's like, I, hey, let's get let's get rid of it, let's get it out of our our, our way. And so he wanted to live and and minister um, to the people, to anyone who came across his path, like above reproach, blameless. He didn't want to be a, a a stumbling block. But right now, he finds himself in this rocky relationship with the church in Gorinth. Like this up and down. And last week, again, we talked about the ministry of reconciliation. That God has given us a ministry of reconciliation there in chapter 5. But now we find Paul pleading with the Corinthians to be reconciled to him. Okay, yeah, you have this with one another. But Paul's pleading to be reconciled to himself. And a key part of that is for them to recognize the legitimacy of his ministry. Right? They didn't want to take him serious. You might remember that, that, that you know, they've, they've said that, Paul, you are unqualified to be an apostle. They didn't think he was qualified. That he he suffered too much. But Paul is saying that in his faithfulness in suffering is the very thing that's qualified him. In other words, it's his, his God-given endurance in the midst of trials is the proof of the legitimacy of his ministry. This is how he opens up. And so we're going to see five truths about spiritual endurance. Number one, if you're taking notes, that spiritual endurance is formed in suffering. I hate that. (laughs) 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 Just being honest. It's good, though. Spiritual endurance is formed in suffering. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in, in labors, in sleeplessness, and in hunger. <clears throat> so as Paul is defending his ministry here, he brings up a list of things that he stands upon to legitimize his apostleship. And he lays out a lot of different kinds of, of suffering. He says hardships and distresses and beatings and sleeplessness. But I want you to notice, and maybe you caught it right away, but all of these different words here are in the plural. <laughs> you catch that? So, so it's not just one beating. It's beatings. <laughs> all right, It's not just one time in prison. That would be bad enough. No, it's imprisonments. Like, they're all in the plural. In other words, Paul has suffered a lot. And Paul is actually going to—he's going to talk more about this suffering in chapter eleven in greater detail. But I just want to mention briefly a few stories that he's referencing here—the kind of suffering that Paul went through. So he mentions imprisonments, and we learn about one of those situations in Acts chapter sixteen. We're told of a, a demon-possessed girl who's who's been inflicted with this demon. Um, she's a slave girl. who who has been enabled by this demon to to tell people's fortunes. And so the the slave owners of this girl are making just a fortune off of her. And one day, Paul crosses paths with her, casts the demon out of her, makes her whole, heals her. It's a beautiful thing. And guess what? The owners didn't like it, right? (laughs) Like, actually, they got super mad. And because of, this is how they made their money. She's no longer a fortune teller. They drag Paul to the city leaders. And they're like, Paul is upsetting the city, right? He's, he's ruining our business. And what do they do? They take Paul, they strip him of his clothes, they beat him with rods, and they throw him in prison. And there is Paul, book of Acts, bleeding profusely, struggling, tired. And as you keep reading, do you know what Paul is found doing? You guys remember the story? He's worshiping. <laughs> What? He's singing. He's, he's praying. Paul and Silas together in prison. It's midnight. They're, they're singing to the Lord. We're told that, that the other prisoners are listening to him, listening to them do this. And we're told there that an earthquake takes place, right? Right? and just rattles open all of the, the doors, the jail cells, like all of the doors. The prisoners can go free. The jailer for, you know, wakes up from his slumber and like, whoa, and he's getting ready to fall on his sword because he's thinking all of the prisoners have escaped and that means death, so I'm just going to do it myself and, uh, rather than face my bosses. But then Paul, right before he does that, Paul says, hey, we're all in here. Like, we didn't escape. We're all in here. And the jailer is just blown away. It's an incredible story. And and the jailer sees, like, this testimony. And he says, sirs, like, what do I have to do to be saved, right? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does. And guess what? Him and his whole family get baptized. (laughs) Like, it's just an incredible story. That's just one of the stories of Paul's imprisonments. Paul also mentioned tumults or, or riots, that we use that word more frequently in our culture right now. And, and we learn about one of those in Acts chapter 19. At Acts chapter 19, Paul comes across this man, um, his name is Demetrius, and he, and he leads him to Christ. The thing about Demetrius is is that he was a silversmith. He would create these little statues or or idols of Artemis. And Artemis was the Greek goddess of Ephesus and they worship her. And so Demetrius would make these little idols, sell them. But when he became a follower of Jesus, and you guys know that this probably in your life, there's certain things that you just put away, right? There's just certain things that are not of Christ and, and that's your former life. And so he stops doing that and it upsets the financial economy of the city. The whole town's in an uproar. People are upset with Paul and what he's doing and how it's impacting their financial security and all of that. And people just start lining the streets. They're yelling. A riot breaks out. The streets are filled with people. They're chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And and we're told there, though, this is so crazy, that people came out in confusion a lot of people, and this is the Bible, this is, this is in Acts chapter 19, they didn't even know why they were out there rioting and chanting. They're just doing it. Kind of sound familiar? <laughs> like, why am I here? Oh, it's just a good cause. Like, like they don't know. Right? There's just confusion. A riot breaks out. It's chaos. And we're told, man, this is the best story. We're told that Paul wants to go back in. Like he wants to go like into the riot. He wants to go into the crowd. His disciples are like holding him back. And like, no, Paul, don't do that. And, And finally the crowd dwindles and Paul goes on his way. That's just one of the stories of a riot. Paul also mentions beatings. Beatings. And one of those stories is Acts chapter 14. Paul's preaching the gospel. Again, that was the call in his life. He gets in trouble for it. And, and it says that they stone him. And, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine the brutality of this. They literally put him in a place or on the ground. Everyone picks up stones to pelt him, you know, throw him. And they, they did so, and they thought he was dead. I, I, I think if we're honest, we can't even imagine that kind of pain. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like, there must have been broken bones. <laughs> there must have been a pile of, like, a pool of blood. Like, n- maybe a concussion. Like, I, you know, just, just let your mind go there. And so Paul's lying in a, in a, in a pool of blood. That's how I vision it. They stoned him so much that they thought he's dead. And it says then that they dragged him outside of the city and they left him there for dead. Like, he was dead. He was gone. But guess what? <laughs> he wasn't dead. <laughs> and you know what he does? You know what he does? Just picture this, like clothes torn, probably a broken leg, blood just coming out, kind of like, you know, just like one of these war movies, like hobbling. He gets up, he goes back into the city, he says, guys, my sermon's not over, right? Like, I have more to preach. And he continues to preach. It's just an incredible story. So in each of these stories, there's a crazy amount of suffering, though. And yet we see endurance by God's grace. It's God's grace. Paul had an enduring faith. Paul's endurance formed over time in suffering. So what does that mean for us? Does that mean we're going to face some imprisonments or stonings? Maybe, I hope not, but maybe. But I would say this, that whatever pain and suffering that you have in your life, whether it's something you're going through, you've gone through or you will go through, that pain can either make you bitter or better. It can make you bitter or better. You see, we all get hurt in life. That's inevitable. This is just part of life. It's part of the course. And if we don't deal with the pain in our lives or, or the hurt or the, the offense, it will fester and it will turn into bitterness and that will turn us into resent, resentful people. But if we take that pain and that suffering and that, and that offense to the Lord, God will meet us in it. That's the beautiful thing. And God will use it in our lives for, for something beautiful where it doesn't turn us into a bitter person, but for, to be better people, better faithful followers of Jesus, someone who will be able to endure. Because as we've learned throughout this book so far, that the light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory. In other words, with God, there's always a purpose in our pain. God is always using the pain and the suffering in our lives. He redeems it for his glory. He's using it. And I know that we don't always understand God's purposes. Let's just put that out there. We don't always understand why, God, why do we do this? But one of the things that we do learn from Scripture, one of the purposes, is found in James chapter 1. When James would write, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. He says this testing of our faith, this, this, this trial of various kinds is, is producing something in us. And what is it? It's, it's endurance so that we can stay the course. Romans 5.3, Paul would say the same thing. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, whoa, knowing that suffering produces endurance. So spiritual endurance is formed in suffering. Secondly, spiritual endurance is cultivated in virtue. Look with me at verse 6. He goes on and he says, In purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God. So Paul here, he rattles off a bunch of these virtues. And virtue is all about character. Right, Character is not just what you do, but it's who you are, the kind of person that you are. Character is who you are when no one else is around. That's how I've heard it said growing up. Vices, we know that, are that, that's bad character. That's pride and, and greed and selfishness. But virtue refers to good character, humility, generosity, love. And Paul is showing here that endurance flows from having godly character, and he lists several of these. He mentions purity, that, that is maintaining integrity when you're just pressed in on all sides in your life, all around you. When the attacks are coming all around you, you just stay the course. That purity. He talks about knowledge, that his mind was just deliberately set on the truth of God, that he proclaimed the truth even when it wasn't convenient. He says, there's patience. There's a willingness to, to wait in hard times or, or even to have patience with, with people such as the Corinthians. He mentions kindness. You know, that is responding to hate, not with hate, but with mercy, with kindness. And he mentions genuine love. That is caring for other people even when you're hurting because we genuinely love. And You might ask, though, as we, re, we read through that verse in verse 6, you might ask why does he mention the Holy Spirit in a list of virtues? Did you catch that in verse 6? He says in purity and in knowledge and in, in patience and in kindness in the Holy Spirit. Like all of these virtues and then he throws in the Holy Spirit in the middle. Why does he mention the Holy Spirit in a list of virtues? Listen to this. It's because in the Christian life Virtue is not a result of our own effort, but it is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So we don't just try harder to become a better person. Right? We don't just try harder to be more patient with our spouses. We don't just try harder to be more loving towards our children. No, 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 we yield to the Holy Spirit in our lives. And once we do that, once we say, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ, the Spirit of Christ who lives in me, the life that I live and how I live in faith, right? Then that's when we become more honest. More patient, more more loving. So these virtues are really the fruit of the spirit, and we have to, what we have to recognize is that we're talking about spiritual endurance here, right? Because we can, we can go, and we, I love watching like TED Talks, right? I think they're really fun. They're, con, you know, consolidated, just lectures on, on certain things. Like we can go and watch TED Talks or listen to podcasts and, and learn about general endurance, right? We can learn about all the ways that people can draw from their own resources to keep going. But we're talking about this morning endurance that comes from the Holy Spirit that's dwelling within us, giving us everything that we need to faithfully endure to the end. That's why uh, in this list of virtues, it ends with the power of God. Did you see that? The power of God for you and I to go through suffering in our lives and and to do so with godly character, right? To represent Christ and to bear the fruit of the Spirit in suffering. It is only possible through the power of God working within us because we do not possess that power in our own strength. Man, when I'm having a bad day, listen, I am having a bad day. The last thing I want to do is just start being over-the-top patient with others. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the power of God to come upon me and to help me. Listen, when you're being attacked, only by the power of God can you respond with love. When you're experiencing loss, only the power of God can make you be filled with gratitude. When you're uncertain in life, only the power of God will be able to cause us to trust the plans of God in in seasons of uncertainty. I've heard it once said that, that godly character is not only revealed in hard times, it's forged in hard times. So spiritual endurance is cultivated in virtue. Thirdly, spiritual endurance is unwavering in opposition. He says in verse 7, by the weapons of righteousness, he says, for the right hand and the left. By Paul bringing up weapons, he brought it up, right? Not me. (laughs) Just another reminder for us, church, that we are in a spiritual battle. That we have a real enemy who opposes God and wants to destroy our lives. Did you know that? Do we, do we forget that sometimes? I think sometimes. That's why Paul has to remind us that we don't fight against flesh and blood, right? Oh, we have a real enemy. That's right. We have a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, right? He, he wants to steal our joy and to kill our purpose and destroy all that God has it, it, and is doing in your life. And he tempts us so much to, 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 you know, to make things look good even though they're, like, they're meant to destroy us. And he comes after us one light at a time. But while we're in a spiritual battle, Paul says here, we're not without weapons. He says we have weapons of righteousness for, for the right hand and for the left. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, we, Paul talks about the whole armor of God for the, that we have in this battle. Let me read it. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's really important because we're talking about embracing weakness, right? And you might think, so am I not supposed to be strong anymore? Am I just supposed to be like a doormat, like weak? Well, yeah, you're supposed to be strong, but not in your own strength, in God's strength. So he says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, because that is real, because that is true, he says, take up the whole armor of God And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And so in Ephesians 6, Paul's talking about the whole armor of God. But here in 2 Corinthians 6, he emphasizes just two of the weapons in particular. He says, you have weapons of righteousness in your right hand and in your left. And so in your right hand, we have, we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And in our left hand, we have the shield of faith to, to block the, the attacks of the enemy. One's for defense and one's for offense, right? And so when the enemy comes at us, this is how we endure, church. When the enemy comes at us and it speaks lies over your life, lies that would say like, hey, God doesn't really care about you. Right or or lies that would say no. God won't. He forgives sins, but he won't forgive that sin. Like you're too far gone, or or you're not really a believer. Like you should start questioning that. Like I don't know if you're saved when the enemy comes, because this happens to all of us, even myself, and he lies to us what Paul is saying is we have the shield of faith to block those lies, right? Our faith in Jesus to block those lies so that they just hit and they just fall dead to the ground. And then, and not only that, not only are we just blocking, oh, nope, no, nope, that's a light, nope, that's a lie, that's a lie. No, no, we have the sword of the spirit to be like, boom, lie, and now I'm going strong, right? I'm gonna go attack the enemy with the word of God, Right? So we so when the enemy comes, we we not only just block the lie, but we we come at it with truth. Truth that says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, right? That you are his beloved son and daughter, in whom he's well pleased, and that has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Jesus. And so we, we come and we, so we take, we go on the offense and says, I don't know, greater is he, right? Or, or Jesus' own words, like, yeah, I know in this life, we, you know, we're going to have tribulations, but we take courage. Why? Because God, Jesus, has overcome the world. So we've been given weapons of righteousness to endure so that we will be unwavering in opposition. Fourthly, spiritual endurance withstands failure or success. Ooh, this one, this one hit me this week. Look at verse eight. He says, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report. Now, I want you to notice what's going on here because he's been talking a lot about suffering and opposition and trials, but here he has the opposite. He says he's endured through dishonor and Glory. By evil report and good report. His, his point is this. Everyone knows, we all know, that failure can crush you, right? But did you know that success can crush you as well? And we've all heard the stories of of failure crushing people. Many of us have even gone through seasons of failure in our lives. Maybe your career fails, right, and it just falls apart. Or maybe you've had relationships fail or marriages fail and you're you're just not the same. Or you run out of money and and you don't know who you are anymore. We know those stories, right, about how failure can crush us. But I know just as many stories of people who got everything that they wanted and they were still miserable, (laughs) It, they were still crushed by, by the emptiness, by the void that they still had. And, and I know my mind instantly thinks of like celebrities. I think that's just case in point. This has been many celebrities' stories. They think they have everything, and, and yet they're just empty. They're still chasing, right? Yeah, they have millions of dollars, but they're still chasing just after security in life, right? They have fame, but yet they're still chasing to be known and all of these things. But I know also many people personally People who were very successful in business, and yet their relationships suffered. Their marriages ended. They, they became slaves to their career. They, 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 they made a lot of money in their career, but they constantly lived like in the fear of, like, well, what happened if it all fell apart? But God gives us spiritual endurance, church, so that failure won't crush us, but neither will success. So let me ask us a, a couple important questions this morning before we move on. The first one is this, are we prepared for failure? (laughs) If it comes, will it crush you or will it strengthen you? And secondly, are we prepared for success? If it comes, will we be grounded? Are we ready for the temptations that often come with success? You see, only God can give us the endurance we need to withstand failure and to withstand success. And he is so gracious because he knows our limitations. That's why we need to be constantly relying upon the power of God and the Holy Spirit because, man, failure in and of ourselves and in our flesh, if we're relying on our own strength, will crush us. Success, man, will inflate our ego. Fifthly, spiritual endurance is based on having the right perspective. He says at the end of verse eight, we are regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things Paul is calling out here, again, the way that Corinthians have been perceiving him and perceiving his ministry. Because from their perspective in the city of Corinth where status and prestige is everything, they have this idea that Paul and, and followers of Jesus, believers like him, are deceivers. He says, you think that we're unknown, we're dying, we're sorrowful, we're poor, we're pathetic. But Paul is saying, no, 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 church, through the lens of the gospel, we're, doing, we're something different altogether. But it all depends on your perspective and how you view things. And that's what he's trying to show the Corinthians here. So let's look at a few of these examples. He starts off by saying, we're regarded as deceivers and yet true. Paul is being accused, no doubt, by the Corinthians and, and, and even those with him of being fake. Being a fake Christian. Maybe they're accusing him of being you know, fake because of their struggles, because of their sufferings. They think real Christians don't suffer. Right? Real Christians crush it in the church like us, right? And Paul is saying, no, 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 this, this is real Christianity. The expectation is not perfection, right? It's repentance. True, true Christianity is authentic. It's messy. It's difficult. So he says, you see us, Corinth, as, as deceivers, but, but we're true in Christ. He says, we're treated as unknown, yet we're well known. This is big. It's all about your perspective. Because we all, for honest, we all have this desire to be known, don't we? We all long for others to know our name, to know our story. But what we've done in our culture is we've directed this longing to be known at all of the wrong things. Um, I was talking to Liam this last week. We've been having some conversations as a pastoral staff and about just kind of where our culture is. And one of the conversations when I was going through this struck me is um, people have this Deep desire to be known so badly that they will literally turn on the camera, put it online, and they will literally just do their homework and people will watch them. They will do their homework. And so I was on the phone with Liam on Friday. I'm like, Liam, is is this really true? And so we're both on YouTube together. I'm at the coffee shop. He's here. And he's like, yeah, so he's YouTubing. Study with me. And so he clicks it, opens it up. Oh, it's a live feed. 121 people watching this guy just do homework. Okay, pretty pathetic for the 121 people watching, but like, <laughs> but just kind of how sad, and, and not just doing homework, but playing video games. That's another one, right? Just watch me do this. Like, we want to be known, right? We want to be instant stars. We want, to, we want to have our name known. And so we have this desire, but the Bible tells us that even if, church, even if others, 121 people on YouTube don't know us, or if we don't have a ton of Instagram followers, that we are known by God, Paul even says here that we are well-known by God. Did you catch that? He says, we're well-known. John Piper said this. He says, yes, we are nobodies in the Roman Empire, a tiny movement following a crucified and risen king, but oh, are we known by God, and that is what counts. And when you're well-known by God, it doesn't matter if you're well-known to the world. Listen, fame is a cheap substitute for glory. And the God of glory, I want to to speak this over you today. The God of glory has invited you and has invited me to speak with him face to face. To know him intimately because he knows us and he fully loves us. Church, the king of the universe adopted us into his family. Why? Because he he wants to know us and have relationship with us. He has brought us into his family where we get to experience his presence and his love. And so we are seen and we are fully known by God. So whether the world is impressed with you or they're not, in Christ, we can truly say we are well known and that's what matters. Paul keeps saying, He says, yet dying, as dying yet, behold, we live. So he says, hey, we may be wasting away outwardly. Remember what he wrote previously, but we're being renewed day by day inwardly. As punished, yet not put to death. So he says, we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Yes, life is hard, but we're, yes, we're under attack. Yes, we're fragile jars of clay, but we've got this treasure inside of us. And the reason for that is that to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not of us. As sorrowful, he says, yet always rejoicing. I I, I love that, that, you know, sorrow and, and mourning can simultaneously in the life of the believer happen when we rejoice and be joyful. We can do both at the same time. Yet as poor, he says, yet making many rich. So when he's talking about poverty here, he's talking about financial poverty. And he's saying that the people of Corinth perceive him as being poor because he doesn't have a bunch of money, which is probably true. But Paul is saying, look, you might think we're poor from one perspective. Yeah, we might not have a lot of cash and reserves, but we are rich beyond measure from another perspective. And we're making others rich. This is not a quick, you know, get rich quick scheme. (laughs) I think of, when I think about this, I think of Luke chapter 12. I'm going to read you the story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful, plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns, and I will build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat. Drink and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The dangerous thing for you and I is to be rich financially and poor spiritually. And the call for each and every one of us today is to be rich towards God. Be rich towards the kingdom of God. He says, having nothing, yet possessing all things. I love this. He's essentially saying, if you have nothing but you have Jesus, you have everything you need. You have everything you need. I think of Asaph in Psalm 73. He prayed this. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, there's nothing I desire besides you. Saying, God, I need you. I only need you. You're all I need. That's it. That's all I need. So, again, from one perspective, they have nothing. But from God's perspective, they have everything. So, how can we endure in hardships? It's all a matter of perspective. Look at verses 11 and 13 as we get ready to close. He says, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians, our heart is wide open. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Paul here is making this passionate, heartfelt, fatherly plea to the Corinthians. He's not being condescending when he says, I speak as to children, but rather he's saying, I'm like a father, and he said that in 1 Corinthians. He says, I am, I am your spiritual father, right? I come to you because I care. I, I write these things because I, I care for you and your well being. He's a, he's a father in the faith to them. Remember, he spent a year and a half with them in Corinth. He, he's the one who introduced them to Jesus. He's walked with them, he taught them. So he's a spiritual father. He says, I'm saying all of this out of love for you, Corinth. I'm pleading with you. He says, Our hearts, Paul's heart, man, it's, he says, it's open to you. But would you open your hearts to us? And you see, that's the key to all of us. It's our hearts. And the problem is is so often we close our hearts, we close our hearts to the Lord and we close our hearts to one another. We don't want to get hurt, and so we, we get guarded. And Paul says, Corinth, open your hearts, widen your hearts." This relational rift or this tension in the relationship between Paul and the, and the Corinthian church could be healed. It could be. Why? Because we have a ministry of reconciliation. We have a God of reconciliation. But right now, Paul's saying, it's in your hands, Corinth. What, what are you going to do? Paul was willing, but are they willing? Paul is asking them here, are you willing, Corinth, to expand your capacity to receive love and to give love? Are you willing you know, it reminds me of, of just the imagery we get from, from Ephesians chapter 3 of what needs to happen in our hearts, this, this expanding. Paul, Paul wrote in Ephesians 3, he says, You are strengthened in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Again, that language that Paul's using is one of expansion. Like a widening to create more room for God's love to come in. That's what he's challenging the the Corinthian church here. Corinth, would you open, would you widen your heart for God's love to, to penetrate your inner being? to increase your capacity. Listen, church, today, maybe you know the love of God. How oh, wonderful. But maybe the call is, is to know that it, it's still deeper and it's still wider, more than you can ever dream, think, or imagine. Would you open and widen your capacity to receive God's love and to give God's love? So that's the invitation for us today is to, to receive more of God's love And all of this, as the worship team comes forward, is in the context of spiritual endurance. Spiritual endurance. May we be men and women who are faithful to the end. Here's what we learn, though, is that spiritual endurance is ultimately rooted in a heart that has been transformed by the gospel. And the only way to change the heart is through the grace and love of Jesus Christ by the Spirit at work within us. Paul says in this passage that he has suffered immensely. And let me just remind us that Jesus not only suffered immensely, but Jesus gave his life and he died for us. And we learn from Paul how your perspective in all of this changes everything. It appears, he says, that we're poor, but we're really rich. It appears that we're unknown, but we're well known by God. And it's in Jesus that we see the ultimate reversal of the wisdom of this world. Because through the cross, remember the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We see victory By sacrifice. Power made perfect in weakness. So as we close here, I just want to say, no matter what you're going through, hard, difficult trial, persecution, obstacles, look to Christ. Look to Christ. He has given you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within you providing a way that we can have spiritual endurance so that we can be faithful to the end. Amen? Thanks for listening. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For service times, location, or even just to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Southeast, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Join us next week as we continue in our study together.